Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And we're in a series called The ABCs of Faith. And we're talking about how to build strong faith in your life. And faith comes one way. It's by hearing the Word of God. And uh, let's illustrate that from the parable of the sower, which reveals the key to the whole Christian life, our growth, our fruitfulness, our blessing. Um, it's in Mark chapter 4. It's also in Luke chapter 8 uh, and Matthew 13. It shows how God works at this present time, how things come into manifestation. And the whole uh, principle that is revealed here, Jesus said this is the master parable of the kingdom. He said the sower sows the word. The seed is the word of God. God's kingdom, God's power comes through a seed, through the word. And that seed is sown invisibly in the hearts of men, represented by the soils. And that seed has the power in itself to grow and to produce the results. The key is that the heart, the soil, is kept in a good condition so that, you know, so that that word is able to do its work. That seed is able to grow and come above the surface and produce the, the visible results, the fruit, the blessing. And so we must keep the soil in right condition to receive the word of God, the seed, and then that seed will do its work. Well, this key is the concluding statement of the parable. People think this is a throwaway line. You know, like preachers say, Can I, are you listening? Can I have an amen? No, this is not a throwaway line. This is the whole conclusion of what he's saying. In Luke 8, 8, it says that these things saying, he was calling... He having ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and it's present tense, which means Jesus is saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear and keep on hearing. Hearing what? It's obvious. It says the parable is, the seed is the word of God, Luke 8, 11. Hear the word of God. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear and keep on hearing the word of God. Why is that important? Because that is what's going to cause your soil to be good soil. Even if your soil is rather barren right now, if you'll keep on hearing the word of God, that word will, will cause that soil to become rich, good soil, in which the word of God can flourish and do its work in you. And so his conclusion, Mark 4.23 says, If anyone has ears to hear the word, let him hear and keep on hearing the word of God. And in the conclusion of when he interprets the parable, he actually interprets this statement as well and enlarges on it. Mark 4.24, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. He says, what, take, what you're giving your attention to, what you're focusing on. For with the same measure of hearing that you use, it shall be measured to you. What? The faith and the blessing will be measured to you. Because faith comes through the word of God and the blessing, the power comes through the word of God. So the measure of attention you give to the word of God, it will be measured to you. The results will be measured to you. And to you who hear the word, more will be given. More fruit, more results, more faith will be given. Because faith and grace come through the word.
Verse 25, for whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We find that a shocking statement, don't we? But what is he talking about? He's talking about having ears to hear. So whoever has ears to hear the word, to him more faith and more blessing will be given. Whoever does not have ears to hear, even what he has, even the faith he has and the blessing he has, will be taken away from him. Not by God, but by the thief, by the world, by the devil. You see. In Luke 8.8 8, he puts it like this. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 18, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has shall more be given. In other words, whoever has ears to hear shall more manifestation be given. Whoever does not have ears to hear, even what he seems to have, the faith and the blessing of God, will be taken away from him. Not by God, but by the thief. So you see, faith comes by hearing the word. If you don't keep hearing the word, even the faith and the blessing you have will be taken away from you by the unbelief of this world. Your faith and your blessing in God is not static. It's either growing or it's diminishing. So be focused to hear the word. The more of the word you have, the stronger your faith will be, the greater the hold on God's life. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So we want to talk about building faith in your life. And your faith is based on knowledge. Knowledge of God and his word. So first of all you need knowledge of his word. You need to know what God says to you. You need to know the promises of God. But there's a lot of good teaching on the promises of God. But there's something else that we need to know. As well as what God said, we need to know the promise, yes. But we also need to know about the one who made the promise. You see, because you cannot believe, even if you know all about a promise, you cannot believe beyond your knowledge of the person who made the promise. For instance, if a stranger came up to you and promised you £10,000, would you believe them? Uh, or if you got an email on that, you probably wouldn't believe that, would you? You might wish it were so, but you honestly could not have confident faith that it will happen. Even if you knew exactly the promise, you could not base your life on that. You couldn't just have faith. Why? Because... I don't care how many times you say the promise to yourself. That wouldn't create faith in you. Why? You may know the promise, but you do not know the person who made the promise. And that is essential to have faith, because faith ultimately is in a person. And so it, faith doesn't just depend on what the person has said, but who said it. Their credibility, their reliability, their ability to perform it, you see. A man is only as good as his word. It's also true that a word is only as good as the man who said it. What is the believability of the one who is asking you to believe him? You know, he's asking you to trust and base your life on it. Then you must know his words, yes, but you must also know about the character of the one who stands behind his word. So to have strong faith, in the word of God, you need actually to be fully persuaded of God's character. Otherwise, you will not be able to believe God. We have to meditate on his word. We have to believe and meditate on the character of God also. And the problem for many Christians is they know the promises. They can quote them to you. But they are not yet persuaded in their heart about God's character. 
that they can trust him to bring it to pass. That's often the missing link. And because they can't do that, they can't base their life, they can't, their actions do not reflect what they say they believe. They think their solution to their weak faith, that they know wavers under pressure and other circumstances, is, is just to know the promises better. If only I could quote those promises more. Yes, we need to meditate on the promises, but actually we need to meditate on the character and the reliability of the one who stands behind the word because that is what will hold you strong in the difficult times. Faith is trust in a person and his promises. It's not just some mechanical thing. It's a personal relationship. It's knowing the one you are trusting. God, you see. Well, you can't trust a person past what he has said to you. Neither can you trust him past your knowledge of his person, of his character. That's what the limits are on your faith. What do you know of God's promises? And what do you know of God's character? Well, you trust a bank with a lot of your money. If you didn't trust it, then you certainly wouldn't put your money in it, would you? And you depend on it keeping its promises. Uh, and you act your life as if it does keep your promises. And yet we seem often to have more confidence in our bank than we do in God. Why do we have that confidence? Is it because we've read all their brochures and read all the fine print of the contracts? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, if you're like me, I doubt it. But we have maybe they've probably been in business for hundreds of years. And we've become persuaded by their proven character and, uh, and so forth. And so we're able to trust them. Um, a lot of people bank with them and, and it seems to work out all right. So we, we, from experience, we develop that trust. If we have difficulty believing God's promises, it's probably because we lack confidence in God's character. We haven't considered his character sufficiently. What kind of knowledge do we need? Well, there are three main areas of belief you need. Number one, you need to believe in his power. Is God able to do it? Secondly, his love. You know, his, um, does he want to do it for you? Does he love you enough to do it for you? And thirdly, his faithfulness. If he's promised to do it, will he be true to his word? Is he faithful to do it? You know, when you make a promise, when you get a promise from someone, you automatically make an assessment of whether they will do it or not, whether you can trust that promise. What do you assess? Well, how difficult is it? Are they able to perform it? Do they want to perform it? Are they the type of person that is faithful to perform it? You assess them in, in that area. You assess the promise and you, you look at the person behind the promise. Uh, you know, and that is normal. When you get a promise from God that may seem impossible, it's normal that your mind will say, look, it will analyze the promise. God made you like that because he doesn't want you to be scammed. You know, he wants you to be careful. He wants you to see, is, is this something I can trust or not? Is this person trustworthy? And so your mind will do that with God when you get a promise from God. And then you have to meditate on the character of God. And you have to ask, is God powerful? And it may seem impossible, but nothing is impossible to God, you see. You become convinced of the power of God. 
then you meditate on his love. Yes, does God want to bless me like this? You've got to become convinced of that. Is God faithful to do what he said? Yes. And having become convinced of the character of God, now you're able to trust his promise, you see. Well, if a well-meaning person who has very little income comes to you and says, I, I'll give you 10,000 pounds, your mind will automatically do a calculation and say, they don't have that ability. You won't be able to, to cross the threshold into faith because you have a problem there with an area of their character. Maybe they have wealth that you don't know about, but because of your lack of knowledge, you, you're not able to trust, you see. Now, if you just found out that they'd received an inheritance of 200,000 pounds and that they are the kind of person who always keeps their promises, now you have that knowledge of their situation, you will probably be able to cross the threshold and actually trust them, you know? If I said, oh, I'm going to give you 10 pounds, hopefully you would trust me. But at some point, if, I, if the number went up to 1,000 or 10,000 or a million, at some point your mind would stagger at that and you would pull back and you would not be able to trust me because that promise goes beyond your knowledge of my character. That, I want you to understand that that process is not unbelief. That process is how God made you to work. You are to make a judgment as to whether you can trust a person based on their proven character. Will they fulfill that verse? And you have to cr see that, and then you have to cross that threshold. When God gives you a promise, you study the character of God, his love, his faithfulness, his power. And as you meditate on that, that carries you, I don't care how hard the promise is, that carries you across the threshold and you're able to believe and trust that promise. Let's have a look at, at this in relation to God. What about his power? Well, we know he's able to do abundantly above all. We can ask or think. You know, it's meditating on all the things, the great things God has done in the past, in the Bible, in our life. We've seen the power of God in creation, in salvation. As we meditate on this, our confidence in God reaches the point where we can trust him in that problem we're facing. I want you to look at Abraham, given that amazing promise of the supernatural birth of Isaac. In Romans 4.19 it says, he wasn't weak in faith, he didn't consider his body now dead. When he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Surely he should have staggered. His mind would have told him how impossible that was, but it says he was strong in faith or he received strength through faith, giving glory to God, and here's the key. What enabled him to take that step of faith? Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham meditated on God. He looked at the stars. He looked at the power of God, and he was fully persuaded that what God promised, he was well able to perform, you see. Of course they would have considered the natural situation, the impossibility of giving birth. That was normal. But then Abraham began meditating on the power of God. And he said, God can do it. And he was able to cross that threshold and believe God. His initial evaluation in Genesis 17, verse 17, was laughter. He laughed. He, it says he fell on his face and he laughed. 
And Sarah's reaction in Genesis 18.10 was the same. She laughed. That's why Isaac was called laughter. But then that laughter turned to laughter of joy. How did they cross that threshold? He, he began to meditate on the power of God. Yes, what God said was, 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 an amazing, was so impossible, but they meditated on the one who said it. If anyone else had said it, they would have laughed him to scorn. But it's God who created the universe who's made this promise. Is he not able to do it? You see? And then they began to realize. And that's what Abraham did. In your situation, you're trying to believe a promise of God. You're standing at that threshold. You can't quite cross over. You can't tr quite trust him. You see? What are you to do? Meditate on the character of God. On his love. On his power. Is he not able to do it? Once you become fully persuaded that he is able, then you can cross over and receive the promise. This happened to Sarah too. She had to get into faith. But I want you to notice Hebrews 11.11 11 says about Sarah, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She believed and received the power into her. And she was delivered of a child when she was past age. She's 90. She's been barren all her life. And yet she was able to believe God's promise. I, I don't know what you're believing for, but I bet you it's nothing compared to what Sarah had to believe for. <laughs> you know, a 90-year-old woman who'd never given a, had a child. What gave her that ability? Hebrews 11.11. 11. She received strength to conceive, even though she was past age, because, here it is, here's the foundation that allowed her to receive from God. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. You see, she had to make a judgment. Her mind was telling her, the natural world was telling her, this is impossible, this is impossible. But on the other side of the argument, God had given her a promise. She's, she has got to make a calculation. She's got to make a judgment. Do I trust this or I, do I trust this? She made a judgment. So she brought all the relevant evidence. Yes, the evidence is it's impossible. But on the evidence on the other side is God has promised this. What kind of God is he? He's a faithful God. And if he said it, he can do it and he will do it. She judged him faithful who had promised. And at some point when you're struggling to believe, you meditate on the character of God and you come to the conclusion God is faithful. He said it, it seems impossible, but he said it, and he will do it, and I'm going to trust that. And that's Sarah. As he med she meditated on God's faithfulness, she crossed the threshold into faith, you see. Faith does not deny the problem. This is what, what I want you to get. Faith does not pretend the problem does not exist, that the impossibility doesn't exist, but it denies its right to have the last word. Your mind will evaluate the natural situation, but it doesn't stop there. It goes across the threshold. It says, but God. Yes, it seems impossible, but God is greater. But God is faithful. But God is powerful to do it, you see. And our mind, you see, functions just like the 12 spies going into the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. You know, they, they went in, they investigated the, the, the situation, the land of milk and honey. They looked at the barriers in the way. And... and there were two possible ways of doing this evaluation. One was called a good report of faith that the two, Joshua and Caleb, had brought back. The other was an evil report of unbelief. Well, they, they, the 12 spies went into the land. 
as your mind will evaluate the situation of what God is promising you. So they evaluated the promised land. And the initial evaluation was the same from all 12. They all agreed it's a rich land. The opposition, though, is strong. In the natural, we can't do it. So far, so good. No problems. That is the situation on the ground. And, but now, the two go in two different directions. The two spies, Joshua and Caleb, show us what should be the good report. Because that is not all the facts of the matter. The other situation is, yes, there's giants, yes, there's walled cities, but the other factor we must factor into the equation is God himself. Didn't God destroy the superpower Egypt for us? Isn't God greater, you know, than, than these things? And they should have looked at the faithfulness of God and the power of God that they'd experienced in the past, only just recently, and put the two together. And Caleb said this in Numbers 13, 30. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up and w at once and possess it, for we are well able through God to overcome it. In other words, God is greater than this. Yes, these problems are here, but look at God. Look at his power. Look at his faithfulness. He fought for us before. Won't he fight for us again? And putting that together, they were able to cross the threshold into faith and say, nevertheless, we can overcome. The other ten spies, all they did was consider the problem, and they stumbled. They staggered because their meditation was purely on the problem they didn't meditate on the character of God and how God could easily give them the victory. That's how it works. God gives you a problem, a, a promise. Your mind will evaluate, but make sure you factor God into the equation. Make sure you meditate on God's power, his faithfulness, his love for you, and then you'll be able to cross over the threshold and believe the promise. Look at the story of David and Goliath in Samuel 17. Goliath seemed in, in, in the natural unbeatable. But David knew something about the power and the faithfulness of God through the history of Israel and through his own experiences. He tells the story how God, uh, as a shepherd, helped him to, to defeat a lion and a bear. And, and he uses this and he says, the Lord delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. Will he not deliver me from Goliath? What's he saying? God is faithful. God helped me defeat the lion. He helped me defeat the the bear. You see, your victories in the past, your testimonies, just add to your faith in God's faithfulness. You've been here before, you've had problems before, and God has seen you through. And that, that to remember God's faithfulness is important because that will, is, that's the thing that will carry you across the threshold to believe God in this present situation. And of course, you know the rest of that story. He did, and God came through and Goliath was defeated because he had that faith in his heart that he spoke with his mouth. God is faithful. Well, this is where it is. You have to keep meditating on the character of God until you're convinced that God is faithful. He'll do it. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. You've believed it. You speak it. Hold it fast. There's obviously pressures to, to cause you to quit. But hold it fast. Why? What's the foundation for that? For he is faithful that promised. He's faithful that promised. That's the key. 
to know God's faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Daniel 11.32 says, the people that know their God, yes, you've got to know God, you've got to know his faithfulness, they shall be strong, strong in faith that is, and they shall therefore carry out great exploits. Hallelujah. You've got to know God, you've got to know his faithfulness, then you can be strong in faith and do great things. I love 2 Corinthians 1.18, it says, um, God is faithful. He says, because God is faithful, just like God, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus, preached among you by us, was not a yes and no God, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. In other words, God's faithfulness means he's not sometimes a yes, sometimes a no God. If he said it, he meant it, he's doing it. If God says he's your healer, he's not, well, I won't necessarily heal you today. You don't know. He's a yes God. He's faithful. Has he said it? Will he not do it? Believe God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. The God of peace sanctify you wholly and may the, your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless until Jesus returns. What a thing to believe. How can we possibly believe that Jesus will make us absolutely perfect, spirit, soul and body? He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. That's the basis for your believing that promise. He's faithful, he will do it. And finally, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's two grounds for faith. It's important, isn't it? That you know that you can receive forgiveness and cleansing from sin. First of all, he is faithful to his word. He's promised to forgive you. He's faithful to his word. Except, take him at his word. That when you confess it, it's forgiven. It's under the blood. That's it. But also, he's just through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood, he's taken the punish punishment for your sins. And therefore, he's righteous to forgive you. He is satisfied with the blood, so you be satisfied with the blood. Justice is satisfied. He is just to forgive you of your sins. And he's faithful to his word. Take God at his word. Believe him. Trust in his faithfulness. And you will cross the threshold into the realm of believing you receive the promise.